This is Larry Weissen, and you're listening to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Welcome to this week's episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Through this whole process of bringing this podcast to life, I've wanted to focus on people that are involved in the outdoor industry, whether it be hunting, fishing, and I'm very excited because today... I've got a really unique individual on. I've got Russell Graves. Russell is not only an award-winning photographer, author, and prolific uh, writer with more than 400 magazine covers of his photography and then articles behind some of those to his credit. Uh, Russell, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Great. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, I think for the listeners, it's really neat to catch all these different perspectives. Uh, If we could, I'd like to start off and talk about uh, your photography and the different types of photography you got into and how you got into that. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? I can. You know, I've, I've been at it for a real long time now. I'm not that old of a person, but I've just been going at it for a long time. You know, I I grew up in the country in northeast Texas, north of a town called Dodge City. Dodge City is a little bitty town in Fanning County. It's east of Bonham, Texas. I didn't go to, I didn't grow up in town. I grew up in the country. I went to school at Dodge City. The whole time I was growing up, you know, we had a small cattle ranch, uh, did a lot of farm and ranch work, hunted and fished my whole life, and really just fell in love with the outdoors. And when I was about 16 or 17, my older brother, he joined the army. And then when he got deployed to Alaska, he had a camera already. And then he bought a new camera while, while he was in Alaska and then gave me his old one. And when I got his old Vivitar camera with the screw mount lenses, it it was love at first sight. I fell in love. I just started taking pictures of everything that was familiar to me, you know, the outdoors, wildlife, ranching, farming, things like that. Just really trying to capture what was within my, my bubble there close to my house. And before long, I was really in love with the medium and really loved doing it. Of course, like all mamas will tell you, my mom always told me how good I was at it and uh, encouraged me and my dad with my dad's encouragement. When I was about 18 years old, I thought, I, I think I've got what it takes to be in magazines. So I started submitting my work for publication to magazines and uh, because we lived out in the country it took me a while to get to town to take my submissions to the post office but I remember in those early days the submissions were rejected so fast they nearly beat me back to the house. I, I was I was always kind of disappointed in that but I just kept at it. When I was 19 I had my first article and pictures in a magazine and when I was 20 I had my first cover and that was 25 years ago. I've been going strong ever since. Wow so in 25 years you've amassed 400 plus covers. Yes. That's amazing. There's people that would dream about doing that in a lifetime, let alone literally the beginning of their career. Well, I kind of like to think I've still got a few years ahead of me in it. The neat thing is I do a lot of speaking engagements across Texas. And invariably, people who have seen my work for a lot of years, the first time they meet me, the one of the first things they say is, I always thought you were an older person than that. And it's just because I've been doing it so long. You know, I really, I spent my 20s trying to uh, get better at photography and just learn the craft. Once I kind of was, was a better technician at photography, then I kind of spent the early part of my 30s learning the business. And by the time I was 35, everything really took off for me. Well, and 
for anybody that's listening right now, if you go to Russell's website, which is russellgraves.com, and I'm going to have a link to this in the show notes, there's just some amazing photography. Russell's website really covers a number of different types of photography. And I love the way that you have it broken down on here with ag and rural lifestyles, and then just faces and fishing and hunting and then wildlife. So you really cover a broad swath of Texas. I, I guess I don't know any other better way to say that than for the most part is the, a cross-section of Texas lifestyle. Yeah, and when I started, that's really what I wanted to capture. You know, as my career has advanced, you know, I used to just do nothing but wildlife photography when I first got started. And then as time went on, you know, I started taking more pictures of people and people within their element, people hunting and fishing and, and you know, just doing what they do. And then I realized, you know, it's, it's it encompasses a, a broader scope and that scope is just kind of the rural lifestyle and the kind of lifestyle I grew up around, you know, whether it's just rural people or, you know, agriculture, like you said, the categories are on my website, hunting and fishing and everything that's involved within the rural lifestyle. So I never have really wanted to paint myself just a hunting photographer or a fishing photographer or a wildlife photographer, but it's really all those great sites that people see who who live close to the land, who who live out in rural Texas. This website is obviously taking you 20 some plus years to amass all these images and you've crossed over. So you've literally photographed just people across all sorts of sections. What some people might, if they're outside of the state of Texas and not familiar with some of the images, what they may recognize right off the bat, though, is you got tied in with the Robertson clan, did you not? Yes. When they first started their ascension and even into uh, when, you know, when they really reached the height of their fame, I was fortunate enough to work with them and photograph a lot of the products that you would see in the stores, the pictures you'd see on the packaging were my images or a lot of the t-shirts you would see. A lot of their commercial products they produced, I did the photography for them for those products. For folks who aren't familiar with the Robertson name right off the bat, that's all the family that runs all the Duck Dynasty items. Both the dad and uh, Willie on your on your website, at least those are the two that I see. I think that's Willie. Yeah, that, that's correct. I, yeah, I actually photographed the whole family on two or three separate occasions, you know, all the way from the wives and the kids to just the primary characters within the series. And, and you know, the, yeah, I've been lucky. I've been able to work with a considerable number of celebrities in my career. It kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It goes in phases because there'll be times when you know I really haven't worked with a celebrity in a while and that's the way it is right now but then all of a sudden you'll get four or five calls and you'll be working with some people who are who are famous in various industries and it's it's just kind of neat to meet those people and get to know them on a personal level and realize that even though they've been phenomenally successful they're still just regular people like you and I especially when you kind of come from the same background like I did you know in, in, in the Robinsons they can they come from the same background just simple rule you know salt of the earth kind of people well I met Willie before a couple times at the Texas Trophy Hunter shows. Yes. I've never met any of the other family, but they always seem real nice. And it was before Duck Dynasty got going and he was just probably one of the nicest, most gracious people you could sit there and talk to. Uh, he wasn't trying to put on a TV image because he didn't have a TV show at the time. Yeah, and they are. They're just nice down-to-earth people. I mean, really, I, I used to tell everybody that what you see on TV is what you get. They're, they're the same people. You've got the nature photography, which is easy to start off with because you just go out and you start photographing the animals. You you build up your skill level for somebody that wants to look at this you're about my age i'm assuming you started when it was all just film photography there was no such thing as digital i did you know in the early days i was i started off shooting prints just because that was the most readily accessible film medium i could get my hands on and then as i got interested in working with magazines uh at the time all magazines would accept were 35 millimeter slide film and so i had to make the switch from from the print 
film to working with slide film, and that came with its own sets of challenges. Slide film was a whole lot less forgiving. It was expensive. I mean, I remember it cost me $12 for the cost of the film and processing was $12 a roll for 36 pictures, mm -hmm. and it didn't long for that to add up. I remember one time I went on a shoot for a magazine and shot 76 rolls of film and brought all that film home and didn't know how I was going to have the money to get it all processed. You know, it was just it was just an expensive medium, and you and I would get where I was really careful because early on, you know, in my 20s, I was a, a young married man and didn't have a whole lot of money. I was teaching high school at the time, which if anyone knows about teachers, they just don't make a ton of money. And I was trying to maintain a household and build a business on the side, and it was just expensive. So I got early on where I would be real selective in the pictures I took and really try not to make many mistakes. And I think just that not making mistakes and getting the exposure right and getting the composition right and all those things that go into making a great picture, I learned early on, not out of because I'm a, I'm a purist of the art, but more than anything, just out of financial reasons, it was economics. It was if I took a lot of pictures that were no good, I'm, I'm having to pay for pictures that I'm just going to throw in the trash. So I tried to get early on when I was, when I, I just understood how the cameras work and was real predictable. If, if I shot a picture, kind of knew what the picture was going to look like before it was even processed. Fast forward to the transition to digital, that kind of helped me because I still kind of follow those same basic tenets that I did early on. You know, you'll, you'll hear a lot of people talk about they can fix things in Photoshop and things like that. I rarely use Photoshop. I'm just not that good at it and it's too tedious of a program for me to want to be good at it. That's the old guy coming out in me now. I just still, when I, whenever I go take pictures, I, I just try to get it right from the jump. The beauty of digital now is you can you can look at the back of the camera and be able to dial things in a whole lot more precise than I, than I ever could with film. But still, that same basic ethic of just trying to do it right from the first and not fix it later still prevails with me. I think digital has spoiled a lot of people. And for, as you said, it allows you instantly to see what you're doing. But for those young up and coming photographers, I, I'm not sure they're learning the skill the craft if you made a screw up and you you waited two weeks to get your film back you'd be like you mean this is what i got now there's yeah. more of that instant gratification I, I always wonder from the art side of it if the newer photographers will be able to carry on and learn the full composition and not want to just well i can just slap it in you know any of these digital editing programs and boom fix it yeah and that's you know the the, the neat thing about photography these days the mediums become democratized to the point where you know if you've got a, a smartphone in your pocket, you've got a pretty good camera in your pocket. The inspiring thing is seeing other people's vision of how they see the world. You know, obviously, I look at a lot of people's pictures on the internet and try to look. I'm still trying to learn. It's, it's uh, photography is like the game of golf. You can get good at it, but you never really master it because there's always a different way of seeing things or a different technique to use, or, or there's always something you can learn. And the neat thing about digital photography now is is you, you got in, in the internet is you can look at a lot of people's work to learn. I remember back early on when I first started taking pictures I was the only guy I knew who did what I did because it was you were in such a bubble it was I saw other people's names but because there was no internet it was harder to communicate with people I mean I've got letters handwritten letters that I wrote to photographers and they wrote me back back in the early late 80s early 90s when I first got started now just that speed of being able to communicate with other people through Instagram or Facebook or, or things like that it, it helps build the community a little bigger and, it, and that's that's both good and 
bad, I think. It's good because you learn from other people. But it's, it, you know, honestly, it's made making a living a little tougher. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's made it a little tougher. You've got to find your niche and exploit your niche. It's made it a little tougher in regards to the fact that there's just a whole lot of people out there that are good at taking pictures now. And so it's kind of a buyer's market when it comes to uh, good photography. Yeah, the Internet's very level playing field with distribution and the, the digital products that can be created now. It's really changed, including this show. You know, you would have needed a whole radio station to edit and release a show like this 20 years ago. It's not the case anymore. So it's it's really a neat way, but... For somebody like yourself that's so well established, your craft just keeps keeps growing. Now, with that photography, you made an interesting comment. For a while, you were teaching there, were you not? Oh uh, yes, teaching in, in children's. Yeah, you were teaching uh, high school, correct? Correct. I, I was a agriculture science teacher, uh, and I did that for 16 years. Great job. Love the profession. Love the kids I taught. I'm, I will be forever blessed with the number of lives that I was able to uh, come in contact with through that profession. But you know, like everything else, everything has a shelf life, and it's it's just in 2009, it was time for me to move on. I just knew I, there was bigger things to conquer. And so even though I had an immensely successful agricultural science and FFA program here in Childress, it, it was just time for me to move on and, and do something different and accept a new challenge in my life. So that's what I did. But yeah, I actually became a teacher. It was sort of a means to an end. Growing up in a small town, I always knew I wanted to live in a small town and raise my family in a small town. Even with all the potential social and economic limitations that living in a small town may bring, I, I was just, I, I loved living in a small town. I loved how much people care about you in a small town and how much people look out for you and just the sense of community you have when you live in a rural place. And so because of that, when I got out of high school, I started going to college. I originally looked at majoring in photography, but I kind of saw my path to do photography. That's kind of a, it's almost in a sense like a corporate business where a, a typical photography, academic track in photography, you learn photography, get a degree, then you go be an assistant to someone for a while. Then you start your own studio after that. Well, I knew if I was going to take that path, I was going to have to move to a big city and, and just be a part of that scene for a while and really not wanting to do that. I, I knew that I could teach myself photography and learn the skills I needed to take to be successful. So I switched my major from photography. Originally, I was going to be a, a teacher and a coach because I knew that living in a small town, there'd always be a good job for a teacher. After a semester of doing studying to be a coach, uh, studying to be an English teacher, I realized that I wanted to coach just baseball. And I realized in a small town, you're, you're going to have to coach everything. So at that point, after my first semester of college, I switched my major to agricultural science because, again, growing up on a farm and a ranch, I was familiar with the industry. I love the industry. I love love everything about it. And the people who do it are just, to me, salt of the earth people who take an enormous amount of risk with sometimes a minimal financial reward to feed and, and close the uh, the rest of society. And so I thought, you know, maybe there's a place for me to be an ag science teacher. And so I got a degree in agriculture education and uh, again, left East Texas State University, graduated in the summer of 93. And in the fall of 93, the Children's Independent School District said the magic words and you're I moved here then. And, uh, and it's, yeah, you're hired and expected to be here for a year or two. That was 20, I guess, 24 years, almost 24 years ago. And two babies later, uh, this has kind of become our second home. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, with you being up in Childress, you certainly have access to just some of the great North Texas, the Flatlands, the, what is that, Devil's Canyon, all those just 
amazing ranch lands to do photography on the farmlands that a lot of people don't attribute to Texas that live outside of Texas, the huge cotton farms, all that available to you. When you get out there and start doing your photography, what's some of your most memorable shots that you've done? Oh, wow. That's hard to pin down. They're really all memorable for, you know, one reason or another. The crazy thing about it, and and it's not just me who has this ability. It's really a lot of photographers. have it. I can remember the, the circumstances behind almost every picture I've ever taken. I can remember where I was, what time of year it was, what I did. With digital photography, with the with the information embedded in the metadata now, it becomes a lot easier. But uh, I just remember a lot of the pictures I've ever taken before, and they're all memorable for one reason or another. You know, it may be a, a bobcat that I called in because bobcats are they're difficult to call number one, but to call them in the kind of light that you need to call them in to get a great photograph when you can pull that together, that's just a special moment. You know, I'm, I've been working on a new project for a couple of years, and it's a book about it's a coffee table book about Texas farmers just to meet a farmer who spent his whole life working in the field or meet his kids who are taking over the family farm and continuing a legacy that's been in their family for 100 plus years. It, it's just a, a really neat to meet those people and to learn about them. Or, you know, maybe a, a hunting adventure that I've been on and taking my son out, who's 12 now, but taking him out when he was little or taking my daughter out, who is now 16 when she was little, taking them out hunting or fishing and introducing them to the outdoors and let, letting them fall in love with all the things that I fell in love with and then photographing their adventures when you're out there. It's just, again, it's hard to pin down one favorite when really they've, they've all been my favorite. If you can remember all those and place some attachment to them, that would make them all, all something special to you. They all have some unique meaning. That's correct. Well, looking at some other accomplishments you've done, did you actually create a, your own film, a document? Was it a documentary? I did. You know, a few years ago when digital SLR cameras started, when they started making them with the ability to shoot high-def video, I kind of became curious about that medium. And so I started trying to teach myself how to, to film and, and uh, create video projects. And so from there, the first project I ever did, and it's crazy, there's a creek in the county where I grew up. And I'm, I still own a little bit of land in that county where I grew up. We have a small house there. But there's a creek close to our house that I grew up on learning to hunt and fish and just spending a lot of time outdoors. It's being threatened with a reservoir project that'll flood 16,000 acres of, uh, of those hardwood bottomlands that just frankly mean a lot to me. With the help of my older brother who gave me the camera, we, we embarked on a 60-mile canoe trip to try to document the creek before it was all gone, before everything started changing. And so taking some of the footage we shot along the creek and then supplementing with interviews of local people who'd be affected by the uh, by the project, we put together a, a documentary film called Boat Art Goodbye, and got lucky where that film got picked up for national distribution a few two or three years ago, maybe three or four years ago. Got picked up national distribution and aired to a national audience in prime time. And I was really proud of that. So no big Hollywood crews, no lighting crews. It was just me and my brother. That makes some of the best videos, doesn't it? It really does. It was a good story, and it's there's a lot about it that's kind of tedious now. I say tedious. There's a lot that you, I look back at it and I realize that I would do things different today. And there's a there's some that's cumbersome. But one thing I've realized it's the story that trumps all else, and that taught me a valuable lesson in filmmaking. People will accept less than perfect production if it tells a good story. And apparently, that tells a good story that resonated with some people because when it was all said and done, the the channel that it aired on that was their highest rated show for the for the year that year. Wow. So is that something that can be viewed by the listeners? Any particular place? Yeah, you can go to my website and it's on my website in the video section. 
you've got filmmaking, photography, writing. You spent many years as a teacher, and you just couldn't get enough. So now you're also done it as an author <laughs> because you just didn't have enough to do. Yeah, that's correct. And with that as an author, you've got, what, five books that are available to the public in some form or fashion, and many of them are on your Amazon page. Uh, one that you're doing for a private individual, and then you're working on number seven right now that'll be available to the public at some point in the future as well, correct? That's correct. Here's what I thought was neat is I went and looked and I says, you did a book on a prairie dog. Not many people do a book on <laughs> yeah. a prairie dog, especially North Texans that have a love-hate relationship with the prairie dog. That, that's correct. It's a keystone species and it's an important enough species that, you know, it was one of those things that there were a lot of, at the time I did that book, there were a lot of scientific books about prairie dogs that were, you know, valuable to the scientific community, but there wasn't a public press kind of a general audience sort of book about them. You know, with prairie dog towns around, I just had, had a lot of pictures of them and sort of fell in love with them, you know, from a standpoint that they're just an interesting creature to watch. They're real engaging to photograph. And I looked up one day and by accident, I had a complete life history of prairie dogs in photographs and so i approached the publisher about the project they they agreed it was a good project and so i spent a little time writing the book and learning more as much as i could about prairie dogs and then when the book came out and you're doing the book tour and a lot of the book tours you're doing small town libraries in prairie dog country and so you'd have kind of the same questions as how in the world can you call yourself a texan and profess to want to advocate for prairie dogs but the truth is the prairie dog is one of those keystone species that creates habitat for about a hundred and 50 other species of wildlife. So if you love wildlife, then you understand prairie dogs are just part of that tapestry that creates a habitat so you can see more wildlife. I think they're a neat animal. They're amazing to watch. I can only imagine the the perspective you've got from from photographing them, which meant you sat there for hours watching them. They become little, you see little personalities, I would imagine, in some of them. That's true. You know, and the thing is, like I tell everybody, in the 1880s, the whole panhandle used to be one gigantic prairie dog town and it's impractical to ever think those days will come again but if a rancher has a 40 or 50 acre prairie dog town on their immense 5,000 acre ranch those prairie dogs aren't really hurting anything they're not affecting the productivity of his rangelands and so I advocate just you know if you've got prairie dogs just kind of leave them be it's not like they're going to expand overnight and take over your whole ranch and there's there's control measures you can take and there's science behind it's it's almost like managing a deer herd you know you can manage a deer herd and strategically take out a portion of the population where the population stays viable, healthy, and it doesn't overpopulate its range. And you can do the same thing with prairie dogs. And that's what I advocate to people who have prairie dogs in their place. I don't talk about prairie dogs as much as I used to when the book came out, but at the time, that's what I was telling people. If you've got 10 or 15 acres or 50 acres or 100 acres of prairie dogs on a huge rangeland, they're probably not hurting much. You know, it's, if, if anything, it's just neat to, to be able to have them out on a property and be able to go see them when you want to. Well, and they're fairly prolific breeders, are they not? They are. You know, they're like any rodent. They'll have three or four babies at a time. They typically breed just uh, once a year. But, you know, when you've got a number of them, they'll, they can turn over the population pretty quick. But that's why it's important to have that biodiversity because you've got that checks and balances. When you've got a healthy prairie dog town, you've probably got a healthy predator population who lives around it. Coyotes or, or uh, badgers or, or rattlesnakes or anything else that can dine on prairie dogs. Well, I love to hunt. And I can certainly understand the guys that go out and will spend an afternoon plinking away at a prairie dog town if they're careful about it all they're really doing is creating 
creating some feed for the coyotes and the bobcats and the hawks and everything else, as long as they're not out there just decimating the population. Everything needs a little bit of control, but you're right. Every species plays a part, and a prairie dog town is no different. They're a feed source for the coyotes and all the other predators, which help to keep other things in check. And if any one of those gets out of whack, you end up with a problem. But if they all kind of self-regulate and you step in on occasion, you can have really that diversity on a ranch that not only the farmer the rancher should like, but they should want. Yes, I agree. I have not always lived in Texas, but having talked with many of you folks that have, the ranchers, from what I've been told 30, 40 years ago, would tell you to come on and shoot the antelope, shoot the prairie dog, shoot everything to get them gone because they didn't want them messing with their cows. Now it's kind of gone full circle and the ranchers realize that all of that is a sustainable resource and to be conserved and used and they can make money through hunting, they can make money through photography, they can make money through all that to keep that ranch land going and keep that ranch land viable. And so I think there's been a huge change in the the thought process. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's a good thing, you know, I mean, because it's all, again, it's all sustainable and you know there's it's amazing the really well-managed ranches you'll have room for quail and prairie dogs and cattle and the the whole system can be productive if it's just kind of looked at in a different sort of light in a different management strategy and then another book you published and i want you to talk a little bit about this is you did a book on hunting dogs and i can only imagine that that book was very well received by the the Mm -hmm. folks that are just dog fanatics for their hunting dogs yeah, you know, in, in the uh, when I first moved to Childress back in the in '93, you know, immediately I started. I, I grew up quail hunting in Northeast Texas. We had a few pockets of quail that me and my buddy would hunt. My, I had the land to hunt on, and my buddy had the dogs, and so we would team up and we'd would quail hunt three or four times a year just for the fun of it. Jumped, you know, half a dozen cubbies maybe on a good day. But when I moved to Childress and really living in the last bastion of wild quail country. I realized that you know, there's a lot of people who are pretty passionate about their dogs. And so seeing that relationship between people and their hunting dogs, I got the idea it might be cool to explore photographically speaking. So I wrote a series of essays and spent a couple of years hunting everything you can hunt in Texas with dogs and just would spend time with the guys, learn their stories, learn about their dogs, and just, you know, again, photograph the dogs and just the spirit of the animal and what, what makes them unique to people and why people love their hunting dogs. And so that's that's the product of that that time and effort that I spent. It's a few years old, but still in print and still readily available, it looks like. So that's a neat sounding book. What's next? What are you working on now? Right now I'm working on a on a lot of different projects. Pretty incredible. I've worked on a lot of video projects here lately that I've I've been producing for various clients, mainly commercial clients, but one of the one of the things I'm working on now, I can't wait till I finish it because I'm really excited about the project. But I'm doing a new book that's uh, exploring the uh, the culture of people in Texas who put a seed in the ground and hope for the best. Uh, it's a book that explores the farming culture and farmers in Texas, whether it's from the great big farmers who farm thousands of acres of wheat in the Texas Panhandle all the way to the uh, the mom and pop operation in the hill country who raises vegetables for, to sell at a farmer's, local farmer's market and really everything in between. And just kind of exploring the lifestyle of those people who, again, just they put a seed in the ground and they they hope for a little bit of rain and hope for a little bit of sunshine and hope for the best. 
hoping to start writing it pretty soon. And once I get it written, uh, my hope then is to kind of complete the photography of it and get that thing to the to the publisher and get it in print. So are we talking another year or so till it comes out to print, or are you hoping even less than that? I think I think it's probably going to be at least a year, just because of you know the you got to wait on the the growing season and everything start growing and the farming and. And then really trying to find time to fit in the travel that you invariably have to take to to do a project like that. And just, you know, because when you're trying to cover a whole state, there's going to be some time you have to spend on the road. And it's just, that's a foregone conclusion. And it just takes a while to to get all the images photographed and curated and accomplished. And there's a lot of, well, a lot of people don't realize on books like that, there's just a lot of legwork that you do in the office from trying to find good subjects and and using your network to try to find people who are photogenic for any variety of reasons. It doesn't have to mean they look like a supermodel, but they're photogenic and they've got a unique story to tell. And it makes sense to, you know, have to travel down to uh, Del Rio, Texas from Childress to photograph them and then trying to fit everything you can in between traveling from here to there so you can make the most of your time on the road. And it's just a it's a challenge and it's a, it takes some coordination but it's it's a it's a fun challenge. Yeah, I don't think people realize how big this state is and when you say Childress down to say Del Rio is an example, that's literally darn, you know one end to the other. Yeah, it's a long way. I can't remember exactly how many miles it is, but it takes a takes a few hours to get there when you drive it. Yeah, I would I would think that's a that's an all-day drive just to get down there. It is. But it you know, it's it's neat. I love driving across Texas. I have photographed in other states before, but Texas is where my heart is and Texas is what I love to photograph and love to portray in my photographs. Any other filming projects coming up? Well, I'm trying to shoot some film that's complementary to the farmer book. That hopefully when I get done, I might have to go back and supplement some filming, but I hope to do a, a kind of a documentary book that's as much behind the scenes as anything uh, with a farmer book. I've started working on a new project. I launched a new YouTube channel a few months ago, and you can see some of the videos on my website. It's called The Wildlife Photo Show. It's more of kind of informational, just short short it's like a hunting show but instead of me carrying a gun or a bow i'm carrying a camera and so i'm just showing some techniques that i use to get the wildlife photographs that i get i'm a little behind right now i've got three episodes live right now i've got two episodes i'm trying to get edited and out the door and then just trying to find time to film more lucky luckily where i I live in the country and so where i live there's lots of wildlife around and it's just a matter of getting out and doing the setup to be able to, to film it the hard part of that is when i was getting ready to start filming that little series I watched a whole lot of uh, Survivor Man. You know that show? Yes. With Les Stroud. I watched a whole lot of Survivor Man with Les Stroud because he self-films everything. And, you know, when I'm going out doing the wildlife photo show, I'm self-filming. I mean, I mean, I've got my own setups to, you know, when you're trying to photograph an animal and trying to video one at the same time, it takes a kind of a unique setup to get all put together so you can get good high-def footage at the same time while you're taking still images. And so uh, you can see the product of that. Again, if you go to wildlifephotoshow.com, there's nothing for sale there. I'm not trying to sell anything, but just as a good resource for seeing how, you know, kind of behind the scenes look at how images are put together. And then uh, you can also look on my website, russellgraves.com, and there's, they're on that side as well. For the listeners, again, I'll have links to all this in the show notes. So just head over to the show notes and you can go to any of Russell's websites he mentions or talks about to see the videos, see the photographs, uh, his Amazon author page to see his books. I'll have all that in there for you. 
And uh, also, I'll have your LinkedIn page in there for folks if they want to reach out and touch base with you at all, for whether it be just to talk photography or uh, they need you for an assignment. Any of those, I'm sure you'd love to hear from somebody. Oh, yeah. You know, now I'm, I always love people who ask questions because you are talking to the entire photography community of Children's Texas. And so if anybody wants to visit and uh, talk photography, I'm always game. I just love talking about it. I can't thank you for enough for your time today. Very appreciative of it. I've been a fan of your work. So to actually get to get to connect with you this way is great. And I hope that the listeners will go out and check out your work and just see that such an iconic Americana, Texas photos I don't even know the right words to use to describe them. They're they're just they're just great. And Russell, I again I appreciate your time, and I look forward to uh, catching up with you in the future when your book on farming comes out. I'd love to talk more about that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, anytime we can we can visit about that or any other projects I've got going on. I'm always uh, pretty excited about what I'm doing. And one of the things as we as we wrap this up, Russell, you've got a new project in the works called Real Texas Media. And would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about what that's going to entail? Because I think it's kind of exciting from what you were telling me. It is. It, it's still real early in the process right now. We've still got some hoops to jump through. But uh, Real Texas Media is a pro- project that me and a friend are working on together along with our spouses. And we formed the company about a year ago, and we're trying to put the bones together for it. But we are hopefully this fall we're going to be launching a new TV network called Real Texas TV. We'll have the TV network first. It'll it'll air on a limited number of in a limited number of households as we start to grow but over time we've got a pretty aggressive growth plan where we'll scale out to households all across the state as we get on other cable providers even on some of the satellite systems and then once once we've conquered that real estate the next step will be doing on-demand digital service much like netflix or hulu or one of those services where people can not only watch it on their televisions but also watch it on demand through digital platforms wow so you'll be working with the local cable affiliates and then branching out from there Correct. That's correct. And really what I think is neat about our our network is all the things that I've ever photographed. You know, the things that I photograph are what people from outside of Texas thinks that Texas is. And Texas is a proud state. I learned doing my books or doing the magazine work that I've always done that, that marketers and business owners look at two distinct markets in Texas. I mean, in the United States, they see Texas as its own distinct market. And then it's the rest of the United States they lump together as the secondary market for some of these products. And so thinking that, I thought, and there's a lot of really neat stories to tell in, in rural Texas, and there's a lot of good content and good content providers we can partner with, and we can put together a network that really highlights what I think the real Texas is, and that's why we call it Real Texas TV. Well, that'll be exciting. I, I look forward to, to talking more about that as it comes to fruition. And, and you're correct. I've lived in Texas now for 12 years. I've lived in Arizona before this and was born and raised in Michigan, covered a number of different states and traveling. And Texas is the only, and I'm going to use just a simple example. Every manufacturer makes a Texas edition truck in one form or another. You won't see that. Yeah. You don't see a Montana edition or, I mean, you might have a little dealership make their own thing but not one that's made by the manufacturer for sale in that market. Uh, there's a reason Toyota put a, their truck manufacturing in San Antonio. There's a reason every one of those trucks has a born and made in San Antonio on the back of it, a sticker. Uh, and it's because that's a, such an important market. So I, I can certainly understand when you say there's there's the marketing for the rest of the United States and there's the marketing for Texas. Sometimes they overlap, but sometimes they're done completely different. Yeah. And, you know, we're proud people and we're proud for good reason. It's a great state and a lot of 
again, a lot of interesting people and interesting stories. And hopefully we can capitalize on some of that by providing a vehicle that people can tune in and learn about Texas or reaffirm why they love Texas so much. Yeah, that should be very exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing how this spreads out, travers across, and, and as you be able to get it out on digital where people that live outside of Texas but love Texas-flavored stuff can get get their hands on it to to watch it and and partake in it so i think that's a very exciting i wish you a lot of luck on that i appreciate that and again i I thank you for your time i appreciate it uh look forward to talking with you in the future and seeing how all this takes off and uh, it's really nice to finally put uh, a voice to these photos i've been looking at for a year or so so i thank you for your time and i hope you have a great afternoon thank you jason you too thanks Come early spring, it's getting green Fisher on the bed And hear those turkeys gobble It's ringing in my head The winter rise bass boat Here comes another year Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Oh, we command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors Come summertime, we're feeling fine Fishing on the lake Flipping jigs and Carolina rigs From early morning till real late Bonfires on creek bank Kick back a couple beers yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands The fever starts to creep Fill our freezers full of ducks Lots of tender deer Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we So grab your guns, shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Cause we command the outdoors around here. We command the outdoors.